Guys, I really appreciate y'all uh, joining us today for this class that um, is called New Vision. It's a class for new and young Christians, but if you're not a new or young Christian, you're welcome to stay, okay? But this is uh, ideally for folks that are, um, you know, relatively new to the faith or interested or something like that and I have been recording all these and put those put those online and so yeah Jerry you're welcome to stay I know you've <laughs> going to church for a while but uh, appreciate y'all joining us um, today I figure a pretty important thing to talk about for being a Christian is Jesus so we didn't start with Jesus we started with the Christian life and then last week we talked about what, who and what is God? And so today we're going to talk about Jesus. Uh, before we actually get into that, though, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we will dig right in. Um, so if you would, bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for a beautiful and a brisk day. Thank you, God, for all the ways that you take care of us. Father, we pray that, um, that here at church, uh, when things like all of the technical difficulties strike as they did this morning, that we will still uh, keep centered and focused on the things that matter most. Lord, we pray that you will uh, bless us as a group of friends and a group that is uh, growing closer to each other. Lord, we thank you for the different, uh, different communities and uh, areas uh, here at church that are working to find the right people to uh, fill these uh, ministry positions that we have available. Lord, we're excited next week for our youth ministry candidate to come down to Corpus Christi and check everything out. May, um, may you give us, give us and him a very clear sense of whether or not this is, uh, this is the partnership that you want to see. Uh, may the kids uh, really bond well with him and, and have a great time getting to know him, Lord, if they... Um, if he's the right fit for us. Father, we also continue to pray that uh, you will work with, uh, work with our preacher search committee and that, um, that that process will go smoothly, that through this process of prayer and fasting and discernment that we will find, uh, find the right person who can continue to encourage us and uh, help lead us uh, further into the mission that you've given us and uh, someone that we can also help grow and minister to in that role as, uh, as, they, uh, as they sharpen and hone the skills that you've given, given them for that, uh, for that task. So God, we thank you again for all that you've blessed us with. Most especially, we're mindful of your son. Thank you for his sacrifice. And most importantly, Lord, for his resurrection and for the power that we now have available through him to, uh, to conquer death with Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Last week, we talked about some stereotypes about God. So I asked, you know, question, uh, asked a question about, you know, what are, um, you know, what kinds of things do, what kind of negative stereotypes do you sometimes hear about God, maybe you know, from TV or internet atheists or something like that. Let's review some of those. What are, what are some negative stereotypes you sometimes hear about God? He's wrathful, right? 
excited the movie uh, Bruce Almighty. Yeah, any fan, Bruce Almighty fans? Smite me, Almighty Smiter. Yeah. Anything else? Any other uh, negative stereotypes about about God? He might not even be real, right? Yeah, just you know, what what good is he, right? We don't even need him. Yeah, yeah. Keely mentioned one last week that I, I termed the sky vending machine, where if you just put in if you just put in your church attendance or you know take your Lord's Supper you know, communion, then he'll give you what you want. Yeah. All right. Now. Take those uh, negative stereotypes. That one's kind of a positive. It, it's sort of sugarcoating, right? But take some of those negative stereotypes. He's wrathful. He's vengeful. He's angry. You know, one step. Stage. Didn't mean. Forgot. Okay. Keep, keep in mind. I'm trying not to be so animated. It looks like he's stomp, he's having a good stomp over there, though, with this cool dinosaur onesie. Atta boy. Uh, all right. So take that negative stereotype, right? God is this you know angry sky father. Compare that, at least at the level of stereotypes. How does Jesus tend to compare with God when people are talking in, in stereotypes, right? How, how are they different? Not what the Bible actually says, but what people tend to think. Yeah. Like gentle as a lamb, that kind of thing. Yeah. Generally, he, he usually has a lamb with him. <laughs> More of a hippie? More of a hippie? Yeah, hippie Jesus, man. <laughs> he really is, yeah. Yeah, hippie Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. Does anybody remember that from, uh, was it like 20 or so years ago from some movie? Yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, I remember, I remember being at a uh, youth uh, youth rally in uh, in Tennessee, and seeing hoodies that had a, like a cartoon picture of Jesus said, "Jesus is my homeboy." It's like that's kind of funny. It feels a little irreverent, <laughs> you know. Yeah, God is all about wrath and punishment, right? Again, in terms of stereotypes, but Jesus is kind and compassionate. He's chill. Yeah, he just tells people, "Look at the lilies of the field, right? Consider the birds." Yeah. Yeah, like Jesus is over here speaking in haikus, petting lambs and stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, okay, so Jesus is about love and forgiveness, right? But uh, God is all about wrath and punishment. Question, is this how Jesus actually viewed himself? Keely suggests probably not. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is the, um, that's kind of the ugly truth, is that there's a little hint of truth in some of this negative stuff about God. Yeah, there are times when God is really serious about sin. But like we saw last week, the reason why God was so serious about, hey, don't worship these other things is because, guess what? You tend to become very much like the thing you worship. And if you worship these false gods, who are all about power and control, guess what? You're going to do the exact same thing. You're going to end up dehumanizing and abusing the people that you are around. Versus if you worship God, the true Father, right? Okay, 
So you can see that. That's again. That's why. Yeah, but Jesus, he does talk a lot about love and, and forgiveness to the people who need to hear love and forgiveness. Interestingly, Jesus talks also a lot about judgment and things to the people who might need to be a little worried about judgment because of how they treat others. Let's turn to the Gospel of John, right? So fourth book in the New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 5. Gospel of John, chapter 5. Gospel of John is a great place. If you, if you want somebody to get a good sense of sort of what Jesus is like, Gospel of John is a really good place to go because um, it just it comes straight out of the gate, you know, giving a very, uh, very exalted view of Jesus. Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 19. Verse 19. <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 19. I'll read these. All right, and so what I, the question I'm going to ask you is this. According to these verses, how does Jesus see his own mission? All right, so... We're going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to read these and then I'll ask you, all right, so what does Jesus think about what he's doing? All right, so here we go. <clears throat> um, John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Okay, according to these verses, how does Jesus see his own mission? He's taking on the burden of judgment humanity. Taking on the burden of judgment. That is one very clear aspect. All right, G this is now Jesus' prerogative. Taking over judgment. Even bigger than that, where does Jesus get his cue from? God. Follows God. Jesus' activity is precisely the kinds of things that God does. And here's the thing that not a lot of people like. But we've got to hear it. This perfect obedience. All right, did your spine shiver when you heard that word obedience? Okay. This perfect obedience that Jesus had with God is a model. It's an example. For those who would follow Jesus, parents in the room, it's easy to say, do as I say and not as I do, right? <laughs> yeah, it's easy. We had a rough day yesterday with the boys because it was cold and we didn't want to get outside and do anything. <laughs> and so we were cooped up inside. But it's easy to say, do as I say. It's even harder to be able to 
do things in a way where you can say, hey, this is exactly how I want you to do them. But that is how Jesus operates. That's how Jesus operates. All right, question. Based on what you know from Scripture, maybe what you've heard in sermons, hopefully good sermons, how did Jesus treat sinners and tax collectors? Generally, how did he treat sinners and tax collectors? He tended to invite them um, to gatherings, invite them to meals, um, and then through his, him being who he is, kind of showed them the proper way of living. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like people, right? Not stepping stones. Hey, y'all get out of my way. I've, I've got more important things to do than share the good news with you people who need to hear it. <laughs> Basically, he treated them as people who really needed to hear what he had to say. And so instead of keeping them at arm's length, he did the uncomfortable thing. And well, he kind of got around the people who needed to hear what he had to say. Question, who were the sinners? Who were the sinners? There's sometimes prostitutes in there. Tax collectors, yeah. The modern IRS agent. No, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to go there. Yeah, that's kind of low-hanging fruit, right? Okay. Anyway, no. Center, right? Specifically, prostitutes are involved in that group. What a scandal these days, right? And uh, Jerry's on the search committee. Uh, he's the head of the search committee for our, our preacher search. Jerry, do you, how weird do you think it would be if in our job description we put in there that this guy needs to be comfortable hanging out with prostitutes. <laughs> It'd be weird. <laughs> be weird. Drop that in there and see if anybody catches it. <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird. Right. Yeah. There's a story. I didn't have this in my notes, but I remember hearing this story one time. Somewhere... 300s, 400s AD, okay, so like you know, a while ago, there were a group of Christians in a town who would buy the time with prostitutes in the town, and instead of engaging in that activity with them, they would, they would preach to them, and they would feed them, and they would like, help them get the health care that they needed. And gradually they would redeem those ladies from that kind of life. It's like, wow, what, what a ministry, right? I don't think I am brave enough to pitch that to our elders. <laughs> but man, what a ministry. We need $2,000 for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I need to not use the church credit card for this one. Yeah. Matthew chapter 9. Let's turn to Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, to help us answer this question, who were the sinners? Who were the sinners? Matthew chapter 9, so first book of the New Testament, and my favorite gospel, by the way, Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, um, <clears throat> let's read verses 9 through 13. Tony, sir, would you be willing to read those for us? Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13? Absolutely. Thank you. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. 
And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Man. All right. This gives us kind of a pretty good little short summary of who some of these sinners are. Chances are they're probably people who were born Jewish, right? But they didn't necessarily go to synagogue every Sabbath. Probably didn't care that much about the, the particular food laws. Some of them were, like we just mentioned, probably engaged in activities that might make you look sort of suspicious on some of these. All right, now question. By contrast, how did Jesus treat religious leaders of his day? Yeah, Jesus was a little bit harsher with these guys. Yeah. What else? Uh, Jesus. Definitely more scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, There's definitely a hint of, um, for lack of a better word, sass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and like, and normally, you know, when we, when we think about hippie Jesus who's petting a lamb, right, and uh, sort of rubbing his beard <laughs> and stuff, Right? Hippie Jesus doesn't, doesn't have a lot of sass to him. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be a pretty consistent character trait, um, going through and talking to uh, uh, Pharisees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He generally pushed back against their abuses of people who were sort of socially, like on that social ladder, their abuses of people who are socially lower than them. All right, this this happened uh, this happened at the church that I worked at in Kentucky. Uh, a, a sweet lady who did not mean it this way. A sweet lady who did not mean it this way. She was talking with uh, one of the one of the other guys who was had done some preaching and teaching there. A friend of mine in his uh, doc, in his, the doctoral program. So like this guy's getting his PhD in biblical studies. And they were talking about this particular issue in the Gospel of John. And she told him this. Now, like I said, I don't think she meant it this way, but this is what she said. Well, I used to think about it that way, too. So she's disagreeing with him. I used to think about it that way, too, until I studied a little bit more. (laughs) And afterwards, my friend came up to me and said, apparently I need to study the Bible a little bit more. (laughs) It's kind of a dig. It could be taken that way. Like I said, she probably didn't mean it that way. But it's interesting. Turn back to Matthew chapter 9 there. All right, who are the Pharisees? Just quick, quick summary. Are, are these guys just random guys? Or like, t- talk to me about their education. Yeah, they're, they're pretty sharp. Like, these, these guys have gone through the equivalent of grad school in those, in those days, right? Like, these guys are the professors. And so, look what Jesus says here in um, verse 13. Jesus says, 
go and learn what this means, and then quotes the Bible to them. <laughs> yeah. One way, another way Jesus asks this question later, uh, elsewhere in the Gospels is, haven't you read, <laughs> and he quotes the Bible to him, and it's like, man, yeah. There was, uh, there was a guy one time, um, I, I try really, I try really hard. I'm, a, I'm aware of how it could come across if I just walked into a room and constantly reminded people, well, I have a doctorate in biblical studies. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, that, that could get really old fast. Well, that's how you introduce I do introduce myself that way, yeah. Um, I, I need you to put some respect on my name and say, Dr. <laughs> Kevin Burr. <laughs> but there's, um, there was one guy who came into uh, the church where I was uh, working at one time. And he, he tried to, to argue with me and a friend who both knew the Greek New Testament pretty well uh, about there was, he, there was this thing. And he's like, well, you know, I, it's, it's this, you've got to read this verse this way because it has something to do with the Greek. I know this guy doesn't read Greek. And so I pull out my phone. I'm like, hey, I got a Greek New Testament right here. Let's work through this. You've never seen anybody change the subject faster than this guy. <laughs> it would be rude, or it would be a challenge. Let me put it that way. It would be a challenge, an honor challenge, if somebody sitting in one of my classrooms said, well, Kevin, have you ever read the Gospel of Matthew? It's like, Whoosh. yeah, in what language have I read it? But that's the kind of thing Jesus is doing here. He quotes Hosea. The prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. You don't have to turn there, but it's a good verse to have memorized. Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. It doesn't reject sacrifice or ritual, okay, on the other systems. Like, hey, when you come to the temple, you bring these offerings. It shows your you know, willingness to kind of partner with God and be part of this covenant. Um, and also, you know, some of that food goes to you know, help pay for these guys who are doing this service for you. Hosea doesn't reject sacrifice and ritual. That system is still in place, but it elevates a right relationship. All right, let's put it in modern terms, right? If Jesus were to say something like this, go and learn what this means. I desire righteousness not church attendance. All right, so that's a hard statement, but let's really see what Jesus means here, right? If he were to say something like that, he's not saying, well, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to be a part of the body of Christ. What he's emphasizing is, hey, let's, let's keep the main things the main things here. He elevates, yeah, right relationship with God, right treatment of the poor, the oppressed, outcasts, all of that is more important than these other things that are also still important, the sacrifices and the rituals. Now, that's generally how Jesus will treat religious leaders. But there's this interesting episode in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, where Jesus meets a guy named Nicodemus. Let's turn over to John, chapter 3, real quick. So we'll see Jesus... He will roast the Pharisees when they need it. We'll see Jesus speak tenderly 
to tax collectors and sinners because he's treating these people as they're sick. Jesus' first concern is not always, well, how did you get sick? Who were you hanging around? Why did you do this? It's, okay, you're sick, and this is an emergency situation. So here's what, here's what you need to know. Come home. Come back into the fold. God's here. But then, there's, uh, Jerry, would you mind checking that out? Thanks. I, I bet one of the kids is probably trying to get in. But then there's this fascinating situation here with a, another religious leader, a Pharisee, who comes to Jesus and wants to have a genuine conversation with him. And we'll read through this together. John chapter 3, we'll just read the first uh, 10 verses. Now there's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jew- Jewish ruling council. So Nicodemus is a really important guy. He came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is also discreet and doesn't want to cause a scene. So it could help him. It could also help Jesus. Yeah. It could also help Jesus because uh, you know, Jesus is not uh, drawing so much attention to him. So it could, this could go both ways. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, so he greets him respectfully, we know you're a teacher who's come from God for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Now Jesus doesn't get inflated on his own ego, and so he just jumps right into it. Because he's Jesus, he probably has an idea of why Nicodemus is really there. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely, right? And you can almost hear him kind of joking here. Surely he cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born, right? Okay, so he's trying to get Jesus to draw out a little bit more of what he means. So Jesus responds, very truly I tell you, no organ can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Okay, so now we're starting to get into what Jesus means. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus is a little confused and is trying to figure out precisely what Jesus says here. And so he just asks him, how can these things be? And then in verse 10, Jesus gives a, just a little, little poke here. You are, teach, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? Okay. And so Jesus then goes around the rest of it. That's the harshest Jesus gets with this genuinely seeking Pharisee. All right, so it's easy. It's easy for us to kind of put Jesus into this category of, well, he was really gentle with, with sinners and tax collectors and all these folks, so, so you also need to be really gentle with them. But with these religious people, you know, Jesus you know, was heavy-handed and he was harsh. It's like, eh, let's actually have some nuance here. Jesus is not simply meek and mild, Right? nor is he a pushover who just talked about love and forgiveness all the time. He pretty bravely stood up for those who were pushed around by authorities, but for those authorities who were honestly seeking, like Nicodemus, he talked pretty openly with them. And in a way, I mean, like talked plainly with them to where they can understand what's going on. For somebody who's genuinely seeking, Jesus Jesus is pretty even-handed. I think this is the character of Jesus' earthly ministry. 
in a nutshell. So if you want to know what Jesus is like, for the people who needed love and compassion and forgiveness, yeah, he was there. But for the people who needed to be warned and who needed to know, hey, maybe you have abused your power, whatever amount or quality or kind of power you have, maybe you've abused this somehow. For anybody willingly coming to Jesus, he was open to talk. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You know, the, the apostles, you know, uh, the fishermen that, that saw him, they knew the scriptures too. Yeah. They recognized him through their study of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like they were ignorant of it. Yeah. He treated them kindly as well and said, follow me. Yeah. And, and he, he taught those who wanted to learn. Absolutely. Very true. Yeah. Jesus was more than willing. If, if you were genuinely seeking, Jesus would, would talk with you. And I think that's one of the best lessons that we can kind of look at and sort of read and understand sort of what Jesus is, is doing, especially in his earthly ministry. And so that helps me kind of understand, all right, how am I, how am I going to treat someone if somebody comes into my office and they're ready to throw down, all right, let's talk. If, if I am not in the wrong here, then I'll, I'll defend myself. But if somebody comes in and, they, and they're broken, I mean, my first, my first answer isn't, well, this is your fault. Clearly, you could have made better choices. Clearly, you shouldn't have been hanging out with so-and-so. And maybe eventually we'll get to some of that stuff, right? But, all right, that's kind of a broad overview of Jesus' ministry, just his earthly ministry. We've got about 14 minutes left in class, and I've got some really, I've got four scriptures I want us to, to work through. Let's turn back just a little bit from John chapter 3 to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to read a few of these verses. We're just going to read the first four verses in the Gospel of John. And I want you to pick one thing that you learn about Jesus from these verses. One thing that really stands out to you. So Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Keely, do you have those? Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Can you read those for us, please? And we'll talk about them for a little bit. pretty serious uh, opening statement. I think John is doing this on purpose. When he begins his gospel with that phrase, in the beginning. And the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, but it got translated into Greek about roughly 300 years before uh, Jesus's ministry. And the Greek opening words of Genesis 
are the exact same as the opening words in the Gospel of John. And it's just kind of interesting to me that the Gospel of John maybe takes that and says, oh, you know, that's the beginning, but in the real beginning, <laughs> before any of this stuff happened, there was Jesus. All right, in these verses, what's something that stands out to you? What do you learn about, about Jesus in these, uh, in these few verses? He was in the beginning. Jesus. Jesus is the word. And the reason why John uses uh, this, this word that is translated from Greek into English as word is I could spend a whole class period kind of digging into sort of why that's the case. The idea of this Greek word, this Greek word is logos. It sounds like our word logo, which is kind of similar in some ways. This Greek word logos means something like there is kind of a a rational principle or like a, a rational coherence to all of existence. And John points, John argues that that is most and best captured in the person of Jesus. And so that's why he uses this strange term that has some to do with Greek philosophy and some other stuff. But he's basically arguing that if you know, what makes the whole universe make sense is Jesus. So, all right, what else do you learn about Jesus in these verses here? He's eternal. Eternal, yeah, yeah. I don't like the, the guys from the Marvel movie. He's actually eternal. <laughs> yeah. He's eternal. He's always been there. Which means then, if, like, it's easy to just hear that and then not think about it. It means then that Jesus was not created, okay? Like angels were. That Jesus has always been there. And one way that I've heard that this kind of makes sense, right? So, Bible talks about how, how God remains the same. Well, if that's true, and God has always been characterized by love, right? Well, love always has an object. There's always a, a person or a thing you love. You I mean, you, when somebody says, well, I just, you know, I, I just love well, what? Like, do you love your family? Do you love Whataburger? <laughs> like, what what thing or person do you love? Well, no, I just love. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Love always has an object. Well, for God to have always been love, there were there needed to have been something for Him to love. Well, logically, Jesus is there, and that that makes sense. So. Jesus is eternal. Yeah. Uh, Let's do one more thing, and then we'll move over to uh, some passages in the rest of the New Testament. Something else from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that you learn about Jesus. Um, Verse 4, in him was life, 
mankind. It kind of seems like like Jesus is the muse that God used. And that's it's cool that you used the term muse because all right. This is a while ago, but if you can find this online, do y'all remember, uh, for those of you who have been a part of King's Crossing for a while, so I know that's not everybody in here, Mark did uh, a series at the beginning of 2020, uh, or yeah, at the beginning of 2020 called Journey Through John, okay, you remember that? And he would send like little podcast episodes and things like that. The one that I did with him, we talked about how the Gospel of John weaves throughout the entire thing this idea that Jesus is the perfect embodied wisdom of God. And we get little hints in the Old Testament and in some other stuff that was written by Jews between the Old and New Testaments that show what Jewish people thought about how wisdom, how God used wisdom to create the world and how it was a good world and things like that. There's some stuff in Proverbs chapter 8 and there's some other stuff in some one of the other these intertestamental books that it basically kind of points to all that. And so it's interesting, Jamie, that you use this term muse. It's not precisely how they would present it in the Gospels, but it's very close. I know you're using just sort of a, a general term there. But that actually gets us to another verse that I want to look at. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. So Colossians, right in about the middle of the New Testament, uh, after uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. So Colossians chapter 1, start in verse 15. Start in verse 15. And let's read the verse 15 through 20. Adrian, do you have uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20? Thank you very much. Would you read those for us? Adrian, what version is that? Oh, okay, okay. I wondered. It, it's not one that I was very familiar with, but I like it. It, it's, it had enough variety, and I, I was able to follow along pretty well. That's like, oh, that's interesting. I like how they did that. All right. In these verses, what is something you learn about Jesus? What's something you learn about Jesus? image of God. Um, 
physical or what we can comprehend. Yeah. You want to know something else that's cool? All right. So when God created man and woman, how did he create them? In his own image. Yeah. That's pretty rad. Yeah. I think that's on purpose. <laughs> I think Paul means to use this particular word to show us, oh, humans should have been like what Jesus was like. But then we got greedy and power hungry and abusive and okay, yeah. I think that's on purpose. Yeah. Uh, one thing, uh, I don't know if I, I may be reading into the passage too much, uh, but he, when he's talking about the things he created in heaven and the earth, uh, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, aren't thrones and powers used to describe angels as well? Yeah. The whole, the whole created order, everything that you and I can see and everything that we can't see, at least until they show up to us in a dream and say, hey, I'm an angel, don't be afraid, <laughs> right? Everything that we can see and can't see, Jesus rules over all of that. Now, he's gradually bringing it, it under his control, right? But Jesus rules over all of that, yeah. Jamie, did you notice also that um, in verse 16, all of these things have been created through him and for him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That draws again from this idea of Jesus is the perfect embodied wisdom of God. Yeah. You know what's fascinating to me when I read that? It, or the things that he points to when he's on earth, like the lilies. Yeah. You know, he created the lilies. Right, <laughs> yeah. He's the one that created all this stuff, and he's looking at a lily, you know, uh -huh. it's like, and all this array, you know, Solomon and all his days, it's not array. Not like one of these. Days. Yeah. And it's just fascinating for him to look at his creation, something so small, and say, all this stuff Solomon had. Right. You name all the things that he had, the gold, I mean, probably some golden toilets and gold. I mean, he had everything built. Yeah. I mean, the, the massive things that he had, but he, yeah, it is. It, it is fascinating, too. Yeah, it's Jesus. Jesus is so unimpressed with the things that most of us would try to use to impress people with. I have this habit and it, when when I feel like somebody is bragging to me, the more I feel like they're bragging, the less impressed I react. <laughs> Like I was talking, I was talking to a friend. I mean, like it, he's a neighbor behind us, and he was telling me about um, like some YouTube channels that they like to watch because it's a particular interest that they have. And he said that he had he he started some, posted a couple, and he was like, "Yeah, I got 300 views on one." It's like, you know, I post my podcast on YouTube also. <laughs> 300 views would be awesome. Like my highest one has like 106 views. Okay, so like I'm not really much of an influencer. And I was like, oh man, yeah, 300, that's really cool. And then he said, no, sorry, I, I, I said 300. I meant 300,000. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is totally not impressed with the kind of stuff that people would be impressed with when he compares Solomon in all his fame and riches 
and he picks up a flower, like a wildflower from the field. He's like, isn't this beautiful? Isn't this amazing? Yeah. I'm telling you. Jesus, there's other verses that we could look at, but it's time to go. But one of the things that I wanted us to see here is, right, when we read the Gospels, we see Jesus doing the kinds of things we talked about earlier. Yes, he's a friend of sinners. No, he, he won't leave you that way. He calls you into something bigger and, and grander and more exciting than just come to church and follow these rules. The life that Jesus offers, man, it's something cool. And if you're in a position of power and you don't use it well, watch out. He's got some pretty harsh words for you. But it doesn't even stop there. We can get into these other verses that we read. And we only read two of the selections that I had. You get into some of these other things where you see, my goodness, Jesus really is worth my time and effort and my energy. And, and for lack of a better word, my devotion, my love. Because we tend to become like the things that we love and devote ourselves to. God knows that. And that's precisely why he begged and pleaded with the Israelites, stop following these false gods. You're only going to kill yourself and each other. Jesus, on the other hand, the author of life, draws us closer to him where we can have not just life, but have it flourish and abundantly. Guys, I really appreciate y'all's time. We'll see you next week.